0: You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. On this episode, we're going to be addressing some of the absolute essentials for up leveling your health that are often overlooked. In just a couple of months, I'll be crossing my 20th year of working in the field of health and wellness. And it really got me thinking back to how all of this got started in the first place. I had no idea that I'd be teaching in the field of health and wellness, that I'd be writing books of any of that stuff. When I went to college initially, I was just going on the strength of, I should do a certain thing, right? I should, I should. And sometimes when you're shooting, you start shooting on yourself. And you end up in the wrong place. You end up in a place that you really don't want to be. And for me, I just got this input from my environment, specifically through television, that I should be a doctor or a lawyer. And that was what I attempted to do. You know, So when I went to the first university, private university, pre-med program, because I saw it on television, that's what I should do if I wanted to be successful. But the rub was, I hated science. I hated it, all right? I would have recurring nightmares about not having my homework done, about being behind in this biology class. It just wasn't vibing with me. There was a disconnect. Now, this is so crazy because it's my deep passion now. It's my love affair. It's my boo. Besides my wife, all right? Full disclosure, all right? But after that science, you know, I absolutely love it. I'm so passionate about science but at the time I hated it it was the exact opposite now a big reason behind that was the way that I was taught I was being educated about we'll just use biology for example learning about this miraculous world of the human cell without any context that what I'm looking at when I'm looking at that mitochondria I'm looking at the meal that that person has eaten when I'm looking at the nuclei I'm looking at the nutrients that person has eaten. There was a disconnect of how I can influence the makeup of that cell, how I can influence the health of the cell. Me and my fellow classmates had no idea this was a disconnect. And that disconnect has filtered its way through all of conventional medicine to the degree that cardiologists, even at the highest level, award-winning cardiologist trained for decades in the field, training, education, and also application, working with patients, it's very rare to come across a cardiologist who actually understands that when they look at their patient's heart, they're looking at the food that their patient has eaten. That heart is literally made from the food that they've eaten. The heart doesn't just happen, it's made from food. And so, having that break in education, not understanding that their arteries and veins are made from the foods that their patient has eaten, the blood running through their system is literally made from the food that they've eaten. And if you ask this cardiologist, how much education on nutrition did you get in your expensive university education? They'll tell you much the same as me, almost nothing. All right. Now, I have a little bit more of a curveball to my story because I had the option, it was elective on the pre-med track to take nutritional science. So we're talking about my first year in college. I'm in this big auditorium classroom. Nutritional science is on the menu. And I took it because, and this is true story, I took it because I thought that this would teach me how to be more fit. Because I thought nutrition was about fitness. That was the connection that I had right so looking at food as fuel essentially all right not like how you know i could have more optimal performing cells and healthy microbial expression and mitochondria all that stuff was totally foreign to me i was just looking at what's up with this fuel what do i got to do to fuel this body all right that was my my approach and why i took it now unfortunately when i get into the class i see that my teacher is significantly overweight, all right? So I'm like, I have this disconnect. I have this break cognitively. I didn't didn't really understand it then, but I just felt like I didn't trust what he was saying, right? I'm here to learn how to be more fit through this class, but this guy not fit, all right? And this doesn't mean that somebody doesn't have an immense amount of education and experience and that they know that they're talking about, but... I just felt like whatever he's applying is not working. Now, I didn't make that association in the very beginning. It took a few weeks of going to class for me to stop going to the class, all right? And I was kind of notorious for doing this. I would essentially go to class the first couple of days, you know, get the, get the book, get the, you know, the, the, the course curriculum, and I would come in on test days, all right? I was just kind of breezing through stuff. School was never really a challenge. For me, because it's a system, right? And what it really is based on is a lot of rote memorization. It's not opening up a sphere or a a platform for creative thinking, for debate, for questioning ideas. You simply, they tell you what to learn, they tell you exactly what to do, and you do it. All right. So, okay, get it. I get it. But where I got the most joy from in my education, you know, from elementary school through college was through writing. That's what I really enjoyed the most. But I didn't major. I wasn't a a literature major or, you know, kind of creative writing and all that stuff. It was more so just, you know, again, falling in line. You can't make money doing that, right? You got to do what's responsible, do what's reasonable, do what you can do to be successful. But my joy was coming from creativity, right? Now, that was rewarded early on in my education uh, and this was in the eighth grade and it was a teacher of mine, Miss Blackmore. And she published one of my poems in the school newspaper. Right, we had this poetry project where we had to write all these different forms of poetry and illustrate the book and all these different things. We had to, to write haikus and tankas, you know, the freestyle and all that stuff. And she published my kind of freestyle poem in the school newspaper it got read over the intercom. Man, I felt like I was on top of the world, but not because I was particularly special, but because I felt like my words mattered. I felt seen. And that is such a gift to give anybody in this lifetime. And this teacher to this day, I still remember her. I have so much love and gratitude for her. She made me feel like my words mattered. She made me feel a sense of significance. It's a human need. And that stuck with me for quite some time. So I felt like I can express myself. I can write. I can bring words to life. And I always felt that way since I was a little kid. You know, my grandmother, when I was in kindergarten, she got me this little Garfield writing book. And I just remember like practicing my letters and just like being able to write words and just like I can make up whatever I want. I can write stories. I can create these words. Can turn into something, right? It's just this kind of creative capacity. Now, fast forward that, you're going to bump into teachers who don't appreciate that creativity. Again, follow the rules, stay in the lines. And in high school, the lit teacher that I ran into, that's what he was on. All right, true story a man, he had a golf club and he'd be at his little podium. And if he got irritated with the class, he hit the podium with the golf club, just, just smacking it right, jarring the club, you know, he was that kind of guy, all right, already, what are you doing, already the vibe isn't matching, you know, stay with the lines, calm down, do what I say, that whole thing, all right, now, again, I don't tend to be the do-as-you-say guy, if that's the case, I'm just going to, again, I'll come when needed, but other than that, I can't be around this vibe, all right, and so, again, I, Show up to class. Once I got to college, show up to class, do the work, get my grade, keep it moving. All right. Now it was within this nutritional science class, in the very first day, the teacher was telling me about how much calories control our health. All right. That was the tenet. That was the first thing that we covered. Calories, if we can manage calories, you can manage your weight. If you manage calories, you can manage your health. And of course, get in your essential vitamins and and minerals. But that wasn't really talking about how does this all relate to me really? Like, why does any of this stuff matter? And what's controlling what these calories are doing in the first place? Like, how does that all work? We didn't really get into those kinds of things. They were very superficial teachings. And so even though I did have nutritional science, I was widely miseducated on how Nutrition, human nutrition really works in a practical sense. Right. Now, because of that experience, I just got nudged more and more to get out of the space of health. All right. So I'm like 18 at the time, and I was like, this isn't going to work out. All right. I can't stand science. Even this whole like fitness, nutrition, adding, it's not adding up. So again, this was largely unconscious, these decisions that I was making, but I decided to get out of that and to shift my major over to business or marketing or something else that seemed a little bit more glamorous, again, thanks to television. Now, I've shared this before, but the reason I shifted over from pre-med to marketing was because of watching the movie Boomerang, starring Eddie Murphy. All right. That was, I I thought that that was iconic. Eddie Murphy's character, he's working like in advertising. I was like, I'm going to do that. He just makes it look so fly. So, that was again, I didn't have anybody in my environment. I didn't know anybody that went to college, let alone graduated from college in my community, except when I go to school and my teachers. That's it. I didn't grow up around having any kind of roadmap or guidance on what I could be doing and, and how I can structure and create a life that I enjoy, and a life of success. I didn't know what that looked like. So I'm literally just out here with trial and error, trial and success, figuring things out. Now, I shift over, and here's where stuff starts to get very strange because in one way, if you want to look at it like this, fate had other plans that pulled me back to health, but with a brand new perspective because it was... Ultimately, when I was 20 years old, that I get diagnosed with this really devastating condition that really threatened to take my livelihood away. And it was actually in high school when I was at track practice, when I was 16 years old, I was doing a time trial at the track with my coach. And just from running, my hip broke. All right, so the iliac crest, the top portion of my hip just broke. And I didn't know it at the time. You know, it wasn't until a couple of days later I went and got an x-ray done. You could see the portion of my hip just broke off. But nobody asked, like, how did a kid break his hip from running? Why is his bones so brittle that that can even be a thing? They just gave me standard of care, right? Standard of care. Take some NSAIDs, stay off the leg. You know, here's some crutches. Very simple. But I did get some ultrasound Treatment as well, by the way, which again, at the time, I really didn't understand, and I don't think a lot of practitioners understand, that ultrasound is using sound. It is using sound to provide a treatment. Sound. What does that say about our bodies? There is a vibration and a resonance. There is sound expressing throughout every cell, every atom in our body right and sound and frequency definitely deeply influences us all right so even when i say vibe early like vibes matter all right so fast forward i was a track athlete high performing football but i just couldn't stay healthy my body was falling apart you know i had half a dozen injuries just that year alone every time i'd get back on the football field something else would happen i was just falling apart and i was breaking down really from the inside out and finally at the age of 20 i get this diagnosis of degenerative disc disease and this arthritic condition plus this low bone density and it's so crazy because the advice is you know to take some calcium supplements drink plenty of milk i was doing it why in the world is my bone density still so low but this is where everything begins to come full circle And health and wellness begins to be my focus again. Seeing my first physician at the time when I was experiencing what I ended up finding out again, I went in because I was having trouble walking. I couldn't quite extend my leg properly, just having some leg pain. And he had me to go get an MRI of my spine. And I'm literally like, my leg hurts. Why are we taking pictures of my back? I don't get it, all right? So disconnected from this kind of, uh, internal engineering and how everything is connected and he put the scan up I had two herniated disc L4 L5 S1 severe degeneration severely degenerative disc and I remember him putting it up and he told me the condition yes he, he said you have degenerative disc disease and I'm just like okay what is that how do we fix it let's go right and I'm just like, literally. I even asked him, "Okay, so what do we do? How do we fix this?" And he looked at me like, "I guess this, you know, I guess this kid doesn't get it." Um, and he says, "I'm sorry, son. This is incurable. You have the spine of an 80 year old." Now, even with that, today my upgraded awareness, an 80 year old spine doesn't have to look that bad, okay? He's talking about all the unhealthy 80 year old spines that he's seen at 20 my back looked like that all right not good not good benjamin button all right accelerated aging all right in my young state and so what he said to me still didn't land cuz it didn't it didn't make sense like what do you mean something happened there was a cause and i'm having this effect like what caused it like let's do something i didn't quite put these words together cognitively but i asked him well, so does this have anything to do with what I'm eating? Should I change the way I'm exercising? I had no context for me to ask him those questions. None. None. But based on my life experience and the little intersections that I had with nutrition, that question, that awareness popped up for me in that moment. Or it could have been an Everything, everywhere, all at once type vibe where different dimension me jumped in for a second and said the thing and then jumped back and went somewhere else. All right. That could have happened. But at the time, again, I wasn't really sure at all that what I was eating had any effect. I was just asking for something that I could do. And he literally looked at me and he said these words, this has nothing to do with what you're eating. This is something that just happens. And I'm sorry that it happened to you. We're going to get you some medication. We're going to possibly look at potential surgery for you. And we're going to help you to manage this. Gives me my prescriptions. You know, Celebrex was hot at the time. Got a little Celebrex. And sent me on my way. And I went from like kind of a nuisance of a pain to chronic debilitating pain within the next couple of weeks. The nocebo effect had Kicked into gear, full steam. Right, everybody knows about the placebo effect. The placebo is when you get a positive injunction that and that a treatment is going to provide some therapeutic benefit. Now, here's the issue: placebo-controlled trials. Placebos cause a lot of problems in clinical trials. A lot. They have to continuously be accounted for because the placebo group often gets effects. So much so, on average. In placebo-controlled clinical trials, placebos are effective about 30% of the time, all right? Whether it's a chemotherapy drug, whether it's a blood pressure medication, whether it's a drug for anxiety and depression, whatever the case might be, on average, placebos are 30% effective. Skin creams, all right? The list goes on and on. It could be totally inert. That's what researchers at Stanford, Dr. Alia Crum and her team did. They did what they refer to as the pinprick study. All right, so they would give somebody a, you know, kind of prick their skin and create this allergic reaction and it would create a rash on their skin. And they informed the group that they're going to apply this cream. And some of the test subjects were told that this cream is going to, it's an antihistamine its going to help their rash to go away. And other people in the study, they were told that this, this cream was an agonist. Or the rash. It's going to make the rash worse. All right. So one group is told that it's going to make the rash better. One group is told that it's going to make the rash worse. Here's what happened. Within 10 minutes of applying the cream, which was completely inert, and had no therapeutic benefit whatsoever, the people that were told it would help the rash to go away, it started to go away. The people that were told that the cream was going to make their rash worse, It to get worse. Again, the cream was completely inert. Now, here's what the researchers found that was most shocking in this study, if you really understand this. They found that the strength of the test subject's reaction to the cream was largely based on their opinion of the healthcare practitioner, of the administering physician, whether or not they thought they were competent. How competent they believed that person to be determined how severe or how much better they got. All right, so please understand this. It was based on what they believed about the person who told them that the thing was going to do what it was going to do. Their perspective of this person's authority determined how their body reacted. Mm, That's what it's really about when we talk about a placebo effect. It's really based on our perception of authority from the person who's giving us this positive injunction that a thing will do a thing. But a nocebo effect is getting a negative reaction, a negative response, a negative injunction based on what a person in a position of authority is going to be telling you what's going to happen. So when the physician told me that this is incurable, that there's nothing I can do about this, that I'm gonna live with this for the rest of my life, I'm gonna be in pain for the rest of my life, matter of fact, You have the spine of an 80-year-old man. You're breaking down and decaying. Guess what's going to (laughs) happen? If I believe him, which I did, things are going to get a whole lot worse. And that's what they did. So over the course of the next two years, I am still doing the things that I was doing that put me in the situation that I was in. All right? I set aside this important tenet that was left out by my physician of cause and effect, causality. Nothing in our observable reality just happens. There is always a causative agent. There's something that initiates the response. So to say that this just happens is totally against basic tenets of our reality, all right? And again, if we can hop to a different universe, if we can, you know, go to a different point of view as far as our galaxy, whatever, where the laws of physics are different, whatever, Okay, maybe again, these, these are things that are quite possible, that cause and effect doesn't quite add up. But in our reality, in our measurable reality, there is causality. Something happened, all right? I wasn't born with two herniated discs and degeneration. My back was fine. Something happened. Now, another little not so fun fact that everybody needs to know about is that our epidemics, Chronic disease, whether we're talking about heart disease, cancer, diabetes, autoimmune conditions, liver disease, Alzheimer's, the list goes on and on and on. Less than 1% of all diseases are caused by true genetic defects. That's a fact. Less than 1%. We blame our genes. Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. Shout out to everybody who knows about that old commercial. But, anyways, that's what we tend to do, right? So it's like, it was just in my cards, right? It was my genes that caused this issue. And that's what I started to believe as well, because that was the science of the time swirling around It's even on Time Magazine. We found the gene, we found a fat gene, guys. We're about to take care of all this fatness. We found the gene. We're gonna make drugs for that gene. And we're gonna end all this obesity. Did it work? Absolutely not. Because that's not how the body works. That's not how science works. Most issues are determined by epigenetic controllers. Our environment, our internal and external environment determines what our genes are doing. Less than 1% of all diseases are due to true genetic defects. We have so much power to influence the expression of our genes. And so my body at the time was out picturing a disease state and what it was really doing unknown to me and my physician and the multiple physicians that I saw over the course of those two years, because I got the opinion, which I always recommend when you get a bad bill of goods, when you get a bad diagnosis, be able to have some patience and some awareness and get a second or even third opinion before taking dramatic action. Because some research from the Mayo Clinic, for example, looking at people who got another diagnosis, you know, seeking out another opinion. The diagnosis was the same as the first diagnosis around 20% of the time, that's it, right? Most of the time, there was a different diagnosis when a person went to a different physician. What the, how? That's crazy, but most people don't know this. So with that said, What was occurring in my body, and again, it took me a couple of years to really hone in on this, was my body was adapting to the abnormal conditions that it was being exposed to. So let me break this down a little bit. And this is getting us into some of these essential tenets for our health and for up leveling our health, for being a better expression of our potential that are so overlooked. After two years of pain and suffering. And I was in so much pain that I literally was afraid to stand up. I would just sit on my couch, lay on my floor, lay on my mattress, all right? Which was on the floor, by the way. And I struggled to even get motivated and to get up and to go to school to my classes anymore. I went from a full credit load to like just three credits. I was hanging on one class. And I did that for like two semesters. I start off with a full credit load, just keep ratcheting down. And next thing you know, I got a couple years in here where I'm only, I'm barely hanging on by a thread with one class. I'm almost a college dropout. Shout out to Kanye. All right. But I managed to hang on. And over this time, now being completely sedentary, like a significant portion of the American population, by the way, we're the most sedentary culture in history, in the history of humanity. All right. Now our body really works on this hierarchy of needs, truly. Like, if you don't use it, you lose it. So now not only is my spine and my bones beginning to atrophy, but pretty much everything else as well, right? And so that's taking place. I'm um, full on in my drive through diet, all right? I'm about that drive through life, okay? Pull up to the window. And let me get that bag, all right? Exchange. I don't know how it works today. It's been years since I've been to a drive through you know, about, again, about 20 years. But I would imagine maybe, I don't know if you could use Apple Pay, Scan. at the I don't know what's, what they're doing now, okay? You might send a raven. I don't know. I don't know. But at the time, here's a few dollars. Let me get that bag. All right? And get that bag of you know what, that dirty, dirty. And so, you know, doing that, eating this way, while being completely sedentary, what's going to happen with, with my body composition and my, and my body weight? Uh, I'm going to... I'm going to get a little thicker, all right? Now I'm going to get a lot thicker. I got a lot thicker. All right. And so I was gaining weight, my degeneration had obviously gotten worse. Pain gotten worse. I was barely able to sleep at night without waking up several times due to pain just jolting me out of my sleep. And ultimately it was after and this is the, something that I don't share enough it was within a few days of seeing the final physician and going, I was hoping so much that he would tell me that things could get better, that he was gonna help me because he was referred to me by you know, a friend, like, you gotta see this guy, he's amazing, da, da, da. I'm like, Go to this guy, same thing. You have degenerative disc disease, this is incurable. Here's some medication. He did the same shit that the other guys did. And within a couple of days is when everything changed. Within a couple of days is when my entire world changed for the better because I realized, and I pictured him, and I could still picture what I was picturing. I pictured him as I'm sitting there at night. You know, this is late in the evening. I'm sitting on the side of my bed, looking at my pill bottle because I've got to down some of these Tylenol PM, a couple Celebrex to try to sleep through the night. And I pictured him having dinner with his family and laughing and passing the mashed potatoes and just you know, living his life. And I really realized that he wasn't thinking anything about me. Here I am in pain. Here I am disconnected from the future that I envisioned. And the person who I gave so much control over my potential was just living his life. And this is in my mind. I don't know where he was at. He might have had dinner with his family. He might have been at a strip club. I don't know. Okay. He didn't seem like he'd be at a strip club, but it's possible. But that, that image in my mind was enough for me to realize that I've been outsourcing my potential. I've been outsourcing my body to all of these people outside of me who were telling me that I was unhelpable. I had just thrown my potential right out the window automatically. And for the first time, I asked this question in my mind. I asked, what can I do to feel better? I, thought about, I just thought this thing in my mind. What can I do to get healthier? I realized now I got this extra weight on my body. It's obviously putting even more pressure on these lumbar discs that are already degenerated. What if I get some of this weight off of my frame? Like I'm just kind of thinking logically, you know, just in terms of just again, just basic physics of things. And I also asked shortly thereafter if my spine is degenerating, what is my spine actually made of? If my bones if my bone density is so low, what are my bones actually made of? All I knew about was calcium from, the, from the, the commercials. You know, they got the celebrities with the Steve Harvey milk mustaches, you know. And I'm just like, man, like I'm drinking milk like crazy. Like what's going on? Calcium wasn't the end of the story. Clearly something was missing here. But by me changing this dominant question, it started to change the answers that I got. Now, this is an important tenet today in understanding how to uplevel our health. There is a faculty of the human mind. It's called instinctive elaboration. Whatever you're posing your mind, the questions that you pose your mind, there is an instinctive reflex to find the answer to said question. We don't like having open loops. All right? Now, television producers know this well. They're all about creating open loops in our mind, keeping us coming back for more. All right, this is basic human psychology. We have to have our questions answered. They will haunt us. And we all have a dominant question or a couple of dominant questions that we're habitually asking, even if they're subconscious or unconscious. And so my dominant question for those two years was why me? Constantly, why me? Why me? Why is this happening to me? It's just replaying on automatic over and over and over again. Also. This was the second one. Why won't somebody help me? Why won't somebody help me? Which kept me looking to the external world for somebody to come along and help me, help to, 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 to save me from this condition that I was imprisoned. So by changing that question from why me to what can I do to feel better? What can I do to be healthier? and that became my dominant question what can i do to get better what can i do to get better i was just it was just replaying in my mind all the time again i wasn't conscious i didn't like purposefully take the record off the record player and put a new record on all right i didn't scratch up the the first record i didn't scratch the first one up i just changed the question and it just started playing on its own so this led me to some of these insights that we're going to talk about now how did i go from that person who hated science whose health was in a place of absolute chaos to be so young to working in the field of health and wellness for 20 years for having that condition leave my reality so rapidly and to help so many people in these 20 years millions of lives impacted how did i how did i do that and it really boils down to these 5 essential ingredients to up level our health that are often looked over today we get so complex there's so much infighting you got all this diet camp over here versus this diet camp you got the socials and the greasers all right you got these different camps everybody's warring. no this you got to have this percentage of you got to do this and most of the time they agree on so much more than they disagree on. And they should be focused on the things they agree on and promoting those things more for the people who need it. So that's what we're going to dive into. Now, before we get to number one, this is the lead into it. How did my body get into that state? And how did it change using this number one thing that I'm going to share? If you take a condition like type 2 diabetes, right? Epidemic today, around 128 million Americans have diabetes, type two diabetes, or pre-diabetes right now. Adult onset diabetes is what it used to be called. Now it's type two diabetes because an epidemic of children have it now, which was not a thing. It didn't even it didn't even used to be a thing for children to have this condition. This condition where we're having a pancreas that is producing insulin still. The beta cells are still making insulin, but. It's making it in response to blood glucose. And today, with our access to so much abnormal food that is so filled with added sugar in various forms. Right now, the average American is consuming about 100 pounds of sugar annually, mostly in the form of added sugar. That's the average. So there are people who are doing 200, 300, and some people who are doing like five. All right, average. We did not evolve having that much sugar in our diet, period, end of story, especially added sugar. The naturally occurring sugar in some fruits, yeah. But all of this added sugar, our genes, our DNA has simply not been exposed to such an insult before. And so, having that flooding our system so quickly, our bodies have to respond with insulin to get that sugar out of our bloodstream to save our lives because all of that sugar running wild in our bloodstream can kill us. If you're wondering what I mean, it's kind of like, it's very volatile if, with, if there's a lot of sugar running around in our blood. This is why, for example, it can create inflammation and degradation and start to tear apart, especially smaller blood vessels. You know, Things that reach to you know, our capillaries, things that reach to our eyes, to our toes right? So we see diabetics losing their vision, having their toes amputated, their feet amputated, right? This is what happens when our blood sugar gets too high, it can kill us. So our body in its infinite wisdom, insulin's released. Let's shuttle this glucose, change its form a little bit, pack it into some cells, right? We're going to shove it into these fat cells for safekeeping. These fat cells will protect us and our fat cells do. Our fat cells are amazing. The volume of our fat cell can expand about a thousand times their original size. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Should they do that? Probably not. They can. Our fat cells are incredibly helpful and protective and resilient, but we're at war with fat. We don't respect it. It's just doing what it's programmed to do, but it's never been exposed to what we're exposed to today. And so, As this insulin is getting produced in response to this abnormal blood glucose, if this keeps happening again and again over time and your body's just screaming and spurting out all of this insulin, eventually your cells are going to downregulate their ability to hear that cry. It's just too much getting packed into our cells. It's kind of like getting spam in your inbox. And now it's just like, getting sent to the junk folder. Like, I can't even hear, that's too much. That shouldn't be coming in here. I didn't sign up for this. All right, that's what's really happening. And so it's this adaptation that the body has with the insulin sensitivity going down and this onset of diabetes or prediabetes. But what the condition is, it's not a death sentence. It's not the end of the story. It's not something that doesn't have a resolution. It is simply the body in its infinite intelligence adapting the way that it's operating while being placed under unideal conditions. That's what it really is at the end of the day. That's what a disease is. A disease is not who we are. It's not our identity. I don't have a, a sticker on my shirt. When I have type 2 diabetes, it says, my name is type 2 diabetes. I am am diabetes. I am a diabetic. I don't have a label sticker on my shirt. It's a disease state. And a disease is the body adjusting its function and performance while being placed under unideal circumstances. What's the unideal circumstances with that diabetes? It's flooding our system with all of this absolutely horrific amount of sugar that we're simply not designed in any form or fashion to be able to handle, but our bodies are figuring out a way. Okay, I'm just going to adjust this thing here. We're going to create these symptoms. We're going to create these conditions in the body to keep this person alive. Diabetes saves your life. Now that for some people is just so off of their radar or even a tough pill to swallow that the condition is actually an adjustment by their body to save their life. It's an adjustment by their body to continue to keep this person alive while under unideal conditions. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. My body manifested this condition. My body expressed this condition. My spine started to break down and degenerate. My bone density was rapidly declining My body was making these adjustments to operate under unideal conditions. Now, let's talk about why. Let's talk about these five essential factors here. These five essentials for up-leveling your health and fitness. These are the five main things that I did that transformed my health, transformed my reality, and led from this life of self-centeredness and constantly looking out for my own safety in this volatile environment that I grew up in to a life of service and focusing on how can I serve? How can I help and uplift others? Number one tenet here, very essential, very simple, but easily overlooked. We already highlighted this a little bit. Your body is made from the food that you eat. Your body is literally made from the food that you eat. You get to choose what you're making your cells out of. Your cell membranes are made from your menu. Your mitochondria are made from your meals. Your cell nuclei, they're made from the nutrients that you eat. Every cell, every tissue, every organ, every organ system is made from food. So we want to make our bodies out of real food. This is so simple, but it's so overlooked. Again, because there's a lot of infighting and debate about which real food, just real food. Number one, right? real nutrient dense foods. And I'm gonna give you a couple specifics here. So for example, when I was concerned about, okay, if my bones, if my bone density is is so low, what are my bones really made out of? And again, all I knew about was calcium. But by asking a different question, Eventually, I found out that nutrients like vitamin C. I know vitamin Cs matter for my bones? I knew about it for the immune system, that's it. Vitamin C is one of the most powerful antioxidants, but also it's a biopotentiator for the building of bone and supporting your bone from degradation. But also, vitamin C is important for the health of our skin. And for our sleep quality as well, there's some data published in Plus one about being deficient in vitamin C, leading to more interrupted sleep cycles. Right, the list goes on and on. Vitamin C isn't just a one-trick pony, right? Vitamin C was important for my bone density. Where's I getting vitamin C in my diet? Man, I was drinking, <laughs> I was drinking Hawaiian punch. You know, maybe there's some synthetic vitamin C in there. I don't know, right? But I was not, I was not like eating any citrus. I could tell you that. When I say, I'm tell, listen, I ate fast food 300 plus days of the year, 300 plus. I got to put that plus on there because I can't say 365, but it's damn near close. All right. Because there's a couple of times I didn't have a couple bucks. And so I had to stay at home and, you know, eat what I might have had stocked away, which was usually if I wasn't eating fast food. I was eating ultra processed food at the crib. All right. So a family size can of ravioli would be on the agenda or a box of Velveeta shells and cheese, a box. I would eat a box as a meal, box of Velveeta shells and cheese. And I put a little pepper on it because I'm like trying to like spice it up. Like, oh, this is gourmet, right? That's what I was eating. I was making my tissues out of this stuff. So was I getting adequate amounts of vitamin C? Absolutely not. Also for bone density, vitamin D is essential. Calcium, can't really do its thing efficiently without vitamin D, vitamin K as well. Magnesium is needed for the health of our bones. Zinc, amino acids like glycine, several other factors. And these are all noted in peer-reviewed clinical trials.
1: I wasn't getting that stuff
0: in my diet, my drive-through diet, my processed food diet. And even omega-3 fatty acids have been proven to contribute to bone mineral density. There was a recent study published in the peer-reviewed journal PLOS One that found that the consumption of omega-3s can improve bone mineral density, specifically in the hips and the lumbar spine. Those were the two areas I was breaking down. Oh my gosh. So, you know, this was a recent, this was a recent study. I came across some data on this back then, but more and more, there's so many studies on this. There's so many studies on this now, but is this being prescribed to patients because degenerative disc disease is also epidemic levels? Are they being educated about how important it is for them to make sure they're getting some omega-3s in their diet? Absolutely not. They're being prescribed anti-inflammatories. They're being prescribed opioids. So what's the solution here? Because it's not just... Start being a natural pill popper and going getting these nutrients because I try to do that. That's the first thing I did, to be honest. When I found out about these things, I was just buying supplements. Number one, that was expensive as hell. All right. And it helped, it did help a little bit. Just to be clear, it did help a little bit, but I got a lot of bit broker. All right. And my college budget just wasn't doing the trick. And here's a big key though that I eventually, very quickly in this process, realized because the conditions forced me to, which was, it's not just getting these nutrients, but the nutrients need to be bioavailable. Bioavailable. What does that mean? That means simply that they are efficiently assimilated and utilized by ourselves, right? So it's a real thing. Bioavailable isn't just like a, you know, a fancy word like Jordache or I don't know, Saint Laurent. Bioavailable means efficiently assimilated. Why did I say Jordash? <laughs> Bioavailability means efficiently assimilated and utilized by ourselves. And in our haste to dominate and control nature, which is really the central tenet in modern science, we missed out on the fact that there's an underlying intelligence that animates all of life. When you isolate things into parts, Negate the power of the whole. A synthetic nutrient, though it might have the same chemical makeup, it does not have the underlying intelligence and, even more tangibly speaking, the supporting elements and nutrient cofactors that magnify its resonance with human cells. Our cells, for hundreds of thousands of years plus, we've had a certain interaction with food. With food! Not A supplement made by Vinny at the factory. Food. Food. That's what we've evolved having an association with. We're making our bodies out of food. Today, it's different. Okay? Are we missing something when we have these synthetic versions of nutrients, right? A synthetic version of vitamin C or vitamin E versus what's coming through in a whole food source or a whole food concentrate. Let's take vitamin E, for example. This nutrient is important for the healthy function of our cardiovascular system, our brain, and even the health of our skin. Well, a study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition determined that natural vitamin E from food has nearly twice the bioavailability of synthetic vitamin E. Nearly twice the bioavailability. Hmm. If we're needing these nutrients and we're trying to harvest them from synthetic sources, we're going to have some trouble. Our bodies are not going to get what they need. What's it going to do? It's going to drive hunger because the number one driver of our hunger is nutrient deficiency. Nutrient deficiency is truly behind our cravings and also our desire to eat more and more food. It's one of the factors, let me be clear. It's one of the big factors. Also, of course, addiction, the whole thing, but the human body's intelligence is always seeking like, your body knows in its own language, if you're deficient in zinc and vitamin D, and it's going to send out signals to you, motivate you for certain behaviors, whether that is motivating you to go and roll around in the grass and get some sunlight, like our aminals do, Amenals, you know some kids. You say it like that when they're little, like animals do. Humans have left our own devices. We like to go and roll around at the beach. Why do we like that? Why is it so relaxing and enlivening? Why do we like that? Because we're aminals. We're aminals. All right. So it would motivate us to these behaviors or motivate us towards eating. So if your brain has an association that you've ever gotten some, you know, vitamin. See from a certain food, it would spark a craving, right? But for most people, today they're not going to have access immediate access to those sources, right? So maybe they're deficient in vitamin C. It sparks a craving for you know some grapefruit or f- for some oranges or some kiwis, whatever the case might be. but they're living in contexts like I grew up in where nearly everything in the household is processed foods, and they're just like they feel a hunger. And they would like maybe something with like an orangey vibe to it. So I are going to eat some orange sherbet ice cream or something, right? Or pop an orange chocolate, you know, the chocolates with the assorted, you know, basically you got to, with assorted chocolates, you got to, it's like roulette. You got to find out which one's got the, the stuff in it. You know, sometimes it could taste like a delicious orange flavor, or sometimes it could taste like toothpaste. Don't know. That's what it's all about. Okay. Chocolate roulette. So. These are behind many of our dysfunctions and how we are associating with food in our world today. There's a reason behind it. We're lacking real food. You've probably heard the statistic and I've been pressing this upon culture. Many people are sharing this stat now because it's crazy. All right, and by the way, this stat is from years ago. So trust and believe it's probably gotten much worse, but. About 60% of the average American's diet is made of ultra processed foods. Keyword ultra processed foods, because processed foods, this is where you can get into a little bit of like, well, what about, what about, the what aboutism and miss the point, right? Lots of stuff can be healthfully processed and still have great benefit to the human body. For example, you take a tomato and you turn it into a tomato sauce, right? So you got the tomato, you cook it, you add a little olive oil, some spices, Uh, amore, right? That's what happens. Versus you take some whole grain oats and then you expose it to abnormally high heats and processing and add in corn syrup and artificial flavors and artificial ingredients and then you got lucky charms. That's ultra processed. How did we get Lucky Charms? Did we just get lucky? How? Doesn't make any sense. There's no root. There's no connection to anything real anymore. It's a joke. It is fake. It's not even real food anymore. You can eat it. So I guess you put it in the camp of food, but it's fake food. It's tricksy. One of the cereals even called it tricks. They called it tricks. Gotcha. All right. So I gave that example with vitamin E, right? So we're talking about real food, the bioavailability. That's what makes the magic happen. So not only was I able to assimilate these nutrients and get them to my disc, to my circulatory system, to my bones, you know, to all the places that need to be, because now I'm seeking out the food sources. What's another one? What about specific antioxidant food sources? Well, the Journal of Agriculture and Food Chemistry found that this is one of the popular foods today. I actually just went and saw a friend, you know, LA, man, it's hard. You You could throw a stone and hit a juice place or acai bowl place or Whole Foods. It's crazy. When I transformed my health in St. Louis, there was one Whole Foods in the city, period. St. Louis is big. One Whole Foods. That was it. When I moved, there was there were three. All right. So and like the the it took like ten or eleven, maybe thirteen years before the second one popped up. You know, on my experience of you know being in the field. So, but here, oh my goodness. So, anyways, I saw I was just walking down the block as I was leaving, and I literally walked past just literally within. Uh, block and a half, two blocks, three different places that had acai bowls. All right, acai's out here. Okay, now, the Journal of Agriculture and Food Chemistry found that acai actually, the consumption of it, actually raised participants' antioxidant levels. It wasn't just like it's might be here or the synthetic take some you know pop and lock inversion. Of some, you know, whatever artificial combination of said antioxidants, but the real food source itself raised the antioxidant levels of the participants, demonstrating how effectively it's absorbed, again, bioavailable by our gut. So, acai has an ORAC value of like 103,000. This means it's 10 times higher in antioxidants than pretty much any of the fruits you see in a conventional produce aisle, this is what we have access to today as well. We can basically up-level or intelligently supplement our possibly deficient diet by getting just a couple of things that have these, you know, this word superfood has been thrown around so much as well, but just like such a remarkable combination of nutrients or rare nutrients that we can target those things. And also, again, This isn't, number one is food first. We got to get that through our mind. Food first and then whole food supplements like acai. You're not going to find an acai berry out here, you know, just on the block somewhere. Because of, you know, just the shipping and all that stuff and, you know, keeping it fresh and, you know, um, bioavailability, the processing and all that stuff to have it in its best form and you're not in Amazon somewhere. It's going to be a frozen pack. It's going to be frozen, but then it could be organic. It could be, and freezing actually retains certain nutrients. Other nutrients can be damaged from freezing, but for many, really a majority of nutrients, it's going to be able to help to retain those things. So, but also there's concentrates of things like camel camelberry, another high source of vitamin C, um, acai, and also even some of the conventional fruits and things like that, like blueberries. And even beets, beets are hot out here right now. A study published in the Journal of Applied Physiology showed that drinking beet juice boosts stamina up to 14% during exercise. Bananas, right? So whole food concentrates, and my kids, even my oldest son, he's really into a green. He does like a greens concentrate blend every day. Without fail, I see this kid do this. My youngest son does a red, Superfood concentrate. Both of these come from Organifi. And um, Organifi is just super, even the company itself is super about family. And they're taking the whole food and creating a concentrate, cold temperature processing to retain the nutrients. But again, food first. And we can have this extra layer of health insurance as well. Go to organifi.com forward slash model. That's O R G A N I F I dot slash model. They have 20% off every one of their incredible blends. They've got the green juice formula, the red juice formula. They both taste amazing. And uh, again, just a huge fan of Organifi, just helping to make this stuff easier, getting some of these really potent superfoods into people's bodies. But again, food first. So again, eat real foods, whole foods. So what I was doing was finding out about some of these different foods and focusing on real whole foods, making things like green smoothies, just upgrading the ingredients of the things that I was making. So instead of going to McDougal's, oh, no disrespect to McDougal's, shout out to coming to America, but McDonald's for a a cheeseburger, you know, go to Whole Foods, get grass-fed beef, and you know, I was getting sprouted grain bun or whatever. I was just trying to take a step in the right direction. That was a mighty step and upgrading the ingredients and the sourcing and avoiding a lot of the processed crap that was coming along with it. So with the green smoothie, then I find out about these green superfood concentrates, so I stack that. That's going in there too. You know. So again, real foods, whole foods, I started flooding my tissues with all of these bioavailable nutrients, and man, things start to get better very, very fast. Now, here's the other key. So that's number one, eat real food, essential foundational tenet that's often overlooked. Number two, avoid fake foods. Avoid the things that are degrading your health. It's very difficult to solve a problem if you're still doing the the thing that created the problem. Common sense, right? Very, very logical. And so if we have a wound, let's just say we have a cut on our hand and the cut Already, your body knows what to do, the cut will heal. But if I keep on messing with the cut, you know, like poking at it, if I if I keep on like if I put like a you know a a gummy bear in the cut, if I, you know, pour mountain dew on the cut, if I keep messing with the cut, it's not going to heal. The body knows what to do, but I keep inhibiting the process. So avoiding the things that degrade your health. So again. What are our tissues made out of? They're made from food and we get to decide which foods we're making. Now, the question is, how are these abnormal compounds, these fake foods, actually affecting basic metabolism, basic cellular communication, our cells being able to efficiently communicate and send signals and to perform functions the right way? Well, a recent study published in the journal Food and Nutrition Research set out to find If there's a difference in the amount of calories we absorb and the amount of calories that we burn or expend based on whether or not we're eating a meal of real foods or a meal of processed foods. And so what the researchers did was they gave test subjects sandwiches. All right, now already might be like, sandwiches aren't real food. There's degrees, all right? There's always degrees to this stuff because for the Whole Foods group, they did whole grain bread. So this was more minimally processed, whole grain bread and cheddar cheese. Cheddar cheese is like four ingredients. So you got the milk, you got some enzymes, got a little salt maybe in the mix. But the other sandwich that they compared it to was a sandwich with white bread and this is heavily processed because, again, you don't see no white anything out there. You know, uh, wheat isn't growing white. It's brown. OK. So processing the hell of it to make it white, using various agents to bleach it, to make it the color that it is. And what about the nutrients? What happens to those nutrients that were once contained there? And they also use, instead of cheddar cheese, they used... Cheese product, or what would be equivalent to craft singles. Okay. Because a little not so fun fact it's not called craft cheese or craft cheese singles. They're called craft singles because there's not enough cheese in the cheese. All right. Because if you look at the ingredients, it's a list. It isn't just like a few things, you know, three or four things like cheddar cheese, it's like 10 things. All right, it's got different combinations of other ingredients to make this quote single. All right, so we got a whole food sandwich, processed food sandwich, consuming both, tracking their caloric assimilation and expenditure. And here's what they found at the end of the study when the test subjects consumed the processed food sandwich, they had a 50% reduction in calorie burn after eating that fake ass sandwich. 50% reduction in calorie expenditure versus when they ate the more real food sandwich. Okay. So what that means is their body held on to more of the caloric energy that they consumed. It got stingy with it. It was like, I'm just going to go ahead and hang on to this. I don't know what this is. Now let me give you some reasons. Again, this could be creating what I refer to as a hormonal clog. Where that cellular communication, the hormones being produced or not produced are throwing off the body's ability, the cell's ability to communicate and understand what the hell to even do with this fake stuff, right? Thus creating a clog in the system and and hanging on, making the body more stingy and retaining these nutrients slash, you know, tucking stuff away in your fat cells because just like, I don't know what to do with this. Fat cells, you guys are good at like keeping us safe. We're just gonna go and you know just set that in the in the storage box for a little while while we figure this out, right? So these are just a couple of I'm I'm bringing some color to it, but these are very remarkable and complex cellular processes that our bodies are doing, but it boils down to kind of simple principles, right? We're bringing in. These fake foods, very abnormal things from the perspective of our DNA, from the perspective of our genes, and the body's just like thrown off on what to do with it. Very simple principle. So, another part of this story is that the two sandwiches were the exact same amount of calories, proteins, fats, and carbohydrates on paper. Same. If you leave it up to conventional science, conventional nutrition, it doesn't matter. Calories in, calories out. All calories are created equal. All calories under one nation, under God, indivisible with liberty and justice. All of those things. It's ignorant. Yes, calories matter. Yes. Caloric deficit for weight loss. Yes. But that is far from all of the story. So whenever you See, somebody popping up, just, are you, you struggling with weight loss? Have you tried a caloric deficit? They don't know what they're talking about, all right? We have several epicaloric controllers that literally decide what calories do in your body. And it's going to be radically different from person to person. Chances are that person got results by being in a calorie deficit, and that's good for them. But guess what, when they run into issues, with their gut, with their thyroid, with whatever, something's going to happen. And then they're going to find me. They're going to find information for them to help them sort out what's going on because it's worked for me at one point, but now my body just doesn't seem to be agreeing with me. It doesn't want to do the thing that it once did. There's so much more to the story. We're so much more. We can't isolate it into these little ignorant parts. Okay, with that said, same on paper, same calories, same proteins, fats, carbohydrates, but the processed food sandwich made the person hold on to 50% reduction in caloric expenditure after eating that sandwich. All right, so keep that in mind. And we've done master classes on epicaloric controllers, by the way, we'll put that in the show notes if you're like, what does that mean? It's another term I'm impressing upon culture. And it's very important for us to understand because this was what I was not taught in my university nutritional science class, nothing remotely close to it. Our level of science and our level of research and awareness today is light years beyond that. But yet, it's not filtering its way into the university setting. And it would, right now, at this pace that it's at, take decades for that to happen unless we step up to make it happen. As a part of this, the Model Health Show. Is a platform that provides an opportunity to reach people who are influencers of influencers, right? So, because of this show, I've had the opportunity to guest lecture everywhere from the neuroscience department at NYU to the amazing people, you know, the 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 cold hands and warm hearts of folks up in Canada at Dalhousie University, and the list goes on and on right? But this is being able to get in those doors and to get to students and to start to teach them things that actually work. And working with folks at, you know, out of Stanford and working with folks at Harvard, some of the most prestigious institutions as well, because their names carry a lot of weight. But when it really boils down to it, it doesn't matter if people are being taught the wrong That's why this is so powerful. This never existed before. The ability to go outside of what you're told, this is how it is, end of story. No room for questioning things, no room for analysis, for expanded thinking, for thinking about causality and situations. The list goes on and on. This is what we have today with the advent of these different media. So it's a wonderful time to be alive because we have access to so much, but also it's a difficult time to be alive as well because we have access to so much. So it really matters on where is our attention, right? And we want to get more folks plugged into empowerment. And that's what this is really about. Now, I want to also share one other aspect with avoiding these fake foods. How are these abnormal compounds affecting basic functions like cell replication, right? Cancer in and of itself, there is a malfunction taking place with normal cell replication. Does processed food exacerbate that problem with normal cell replication? Guess what? A recent study published in the BMJ, one of the most prestigious journals in the world, tracked the dietary habits of nearly 105,000 people to see if there was any connection between processed food consumption and the incidence of cancer. What the researchers uncovered Was staggering. For every 10% increase in the proportion of ultra processed foods in a person's diet, there was an additional 10% increase in their risk of developing cancer. So every 10% increase in processed food consumption leads to another 10% increase in your risk of developing cancer. So if right now, if you started a baseline, 10% of my food is made of ultra processed foods at right, a 10% risk i go to 20% of my diet's made up of processed foods 20% risk all right it just keeps on going up lockstep 10% 10% the problem 60% of the average american's diet is ultra processed foods is it not an accident why cancers of all types have skyrocketed Colon cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, skin cancer, stomach cancer, the list goes on and on and on. Things that were once rare are now normalized. What are we making ourselves out of? It's not just what are we making ourselves out of, but what are we doing to the processes of energy production when our bodies are forced to use fake food to try to make energy? What about cellular communication and cell replication when we're using fake food to make those copies? What do you think is going to happen? This is not okay. And we know it. We know it. But that's not what you're going to hear, again, in these conventional settings. You're not going to hear this on major media. Why is that? You already know the answer to this, right? What happens on commercial breaks? Get your Papa John's. Get your beer. Get your, uh, they got some new snacks, right? New cereal, whatever. And oh, by the way, this is sponsored by Pfizer. Oh, by the way, major media, pharmaceutical companies provide billions of dollars annually to these major media networks. Do you think for one minute they're going to tell you to get physically and mentally healthier, to decrease the the shares, the the profit margins for their sponsor, as we're promoting and ignoring the problem that's causing our epidemics of disease, it's just pushing more and more customers right to the front door of a drug company. But we don't have to be a part of that anymore. As a matter of fact, we could change that. But it starts with us. All right, number one, eat real food bioavailable nutrients. Number two, avoid fake food. Avoid the thing that's causing the problem. Number three, this is one of the simple things that I utilize to transform my health. And it's so simple. Stay properly hydrated. Now, this isn't some superficial cookie cutter thing. You know, this is one of those things that I drink eight glasses of eight ounces and, you know, make sure you drink plenty of water. Why? Why? This is why. This is a list of just some of the things that water is responsible for in our bodies. Water is responsible for the maintenance of our DNA. It's operating in a water medium, facilitating reactions in your mitochondria. This is where fat is burned by the way, the actual end product of that process. This is happening in the mitochondria. It's happening in a water medium. Maintaining the integrity of your blood. Your blood is over 90% water. Kind of matters. Also, this is how you're transferring nutrients and oxygen and immune cells throughout your body to assist, for example, also assisting in waste removal. That's important as well if you're talking about the lymphatic system. So, water is needed to create your lymphatic fluid. Building fluids for your digestive tract. You don't want that dry tract. All right. And your digestive secretions. The secretions. (laughs) Speaking of secretions, secretions of the reproductive organs, all right? So the vagina and the pin, all right? The vag and the peen, all right? Those fluids, the seminal fluid and the vaginal fluid, this is also where you think it's where you think the wet, wet's coming from? You need water. Regulating your body temperature. Water is required for that. This kind of thermal regulation creating the cerebrospinal fluid of your central nervous system, making the synovial fluid of your joints and your discs. My discs were dramatically degenerated. It looked like little, little pieces of fried bologna, little triscuits, little smashed up, it looked bad. It was like black when I was just 20 years old. After going back nine months later, from that moment of decision and getting myself healthy, I could see the light shining through my disc. The degeneration was reversed. My two herniated disc had retracted, and they were in place. What are my disc made of? Water. It's a huge component. But here's the thing about it: it's non-vascular. Let me be clear. The discs are non-vascular. So what does that mean? It's not getting like a direct blood supply, where just like blood and water is just flowing right there. It's a process of remote diffusion, you know. So. Even throughout the day, if you think about it, gravity's just kind of weighing on you and the discs are getting compressed, right? So you start off your day taller than when you end the day, okay? A little fun fact. And so that compression is one of the things, again, you can kind of, especially with the disc, being that they're non-vascular, you need to really make sure that you're super hydrating your system, especially if you're in a state of dis-ease with the disc, to make sure that your body has enough. Fluid to send there in the first place because it might be one of the last places to get it. Because our bodies often work on this hierarchy. Your brain is most essential. All right. If you're dehydrated and you you drink a glass of water, your brain's getting all of it. Well, pretty much all of it. It's getting the majority, it's getting as much as it possibly can. Your brain is the most water dominant organ in your body next to your lungs. You know, so this can be somewhere in the ballpark of around 80% water. Okay. So your, your body evolution could give a crap about your, a couple of your discs if your brain is losing volume because of dehydration. Now, during this time that I was struggling with my health, I'm telling you, I know that people, you know, there's these things that, you know, you can go a couple of days without water. You can go, you know, weeks without food. You can only go, you know, a few minutes without oxygen. Man, like I can go, I went without water for a long time, long stretches. I barely remember going over to my sink. I mean, at this time, you know, around the year 2000, the year 2000, around the year 2000. uh, Shout out to Conan O'Brien, right? Um, You know, people weren't buying water like that. Like water is coming through the faucet. Why would I buy it? You know, if I'm going to buy some, I'm going to buy a Gatorade or buy a soda or buy some juice. You know, I was definitely about those juices. I was like super, I was like juicy Smollett out there. Okay. Shout out to Dave Chappelle. All right. I was on the juices and, you know, I I rarely drink water. So of course you're getting in a little bit of liquid (laughs) through those mediums, but often they're coming along with compounds that are going to dehydrate your system because water is needed to process everything that you're bringing in as well. Right so I'm I keep on having this net loss. You know, every now and then I get super thirsty and go guzzle a glass of water. But that could be days at a time when I would ever do that. It's crazy to say that. Some people might not have think that that's a reality, but for many people that is. And I know this for certain because that's what happened with me. And what I've been advocating for us to do and I just saw the other day that it was going around, I guess on TikTok is really popping off right now about 16 years ago, I started doing this process of what I call taking an inner bath or an inner shower, right? And it was a little nudge from somebody that I was learning from, uh, David Wolf. Shout out to David Wolf, Avocado Wolf, AKA some call him the Chocolate Pope. All right, not from the skin complexion, but he just he likes chocolate a lot, right? But he said something about the inside being more important than the outside, right? And it just made sense. He's like, you know, a lot of people are concerned about taking an outer bath, but what about the inside? So I'm just like, I'm gonna start to taking an inner bath every day or an inner shower. And so that's what I've been doing for 16 years every day, no matter where I'm at, no matter what country I'm in, no matter what time I'm getting up, none of that matters. The first thing I do after pee-pee, after going to the bathroom, first thing that I do is I drink at least 20 ounces of water, right? Take my inner bath. And there's a couple of things. Number one, that's going to help to flush out metabolic waste. Your body undergoes a tremendous amount of processes while you're sleeping at night. And also, this stimulates this water-induced thermogenesis, which we got some peer-reviewed data I put in my most recent book, Eat Smarter, about stimulating this metabolic response to where our body is now basically burning about 30 additional calories just from drinking water right now what if we do that a few times a day right so where that's where the value comes in at with making sure people are drinking water for weight loss but not overdoing it and also what about the type of water because the water also needs to be coupled with electrolytes electrolytes are minerals that carry an electric charge they enable cells to talk signal transduction they enable all of our cells to do everything, period. Let me just get right to the point. The sodium potassium pump is required for basically every one of your cells to do everything that it does. That's how important these electrolytes are. No joke, right? Even your mitochondria, your mitochondria it's not in a bioactive form unless it's binded with magnesium, another electro- electrolyte. This is how important it is. And so, I am a huge, huge fan of making sure that we're getting our electrolytes via foods, nutrient-dense foods, but this is a place for people to add in an electrolyte supplement if they're getting it from a place that is sourcing things correctly, all right? So high-quality salts, there are different types of salts occurring in nature. There isn't just sodium salt, there's also potassium salts and magnesium salts. And calcium salts. There's different types of salts. So, taking these naturally occurring things and creating something that has the right ratio of what the average person needs, that's why I love Element. Go to drinkelement.com forward slash model. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash model. You get a free gift with any purchase. They're going to send you a free bonus sample pack with a variety of different flavors when you order from drinkelement.com forward slash model. All right. Now, here's another thing. No sugar, no artificial colors and any of that stuff. Just the electrolytes in the right ratio and stay salty. All right. Stay salty. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model. Let me give you one more reason why. Researchers at McGill University found that sodium functions as a literal on-off switch in the brain for specific neurotransmitters that support and control cognitive function and protect the brain against numerous diseases. Sodium is that important, all right? Sodium enables your brain to actually retain the water that it needs. If you don't have the right amount of sodium, you might be like, "We're well, just getting sodium in all these processed foods." When you stop eating that garbage. When you stop eating fake foods, the vast majority, we're talking upwards of like 70, 80% of the sodium intake in our culture today is from processed foods. And it's coming along with so many other things that can cancel out or or compete with sodium. And it's also in these abnormal forms. It's ultra-processed crap. When you stop associating with that stuff and we get real food going in the mix, This is a place to ensure you're getting your electrolytes. And also, this has been seen for folks that are doing a ketogenic protocol, for example. Electrolytes, super important. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model. Again, exclusively, you get a free gift with every purchase. So water, that's the other thing I started doing. My inner bath, getting my electrolytes, eating real food, avoiding the things that was causing the problem. Man, I got better fast. But it couldn't have happened as swiftly without number four here, which is to move your body for vitality and not for vanity, all right? The real reason that exercise and movement matters is that it dramatically increases assimilation of nutrients and elimination of metabolic waste. That's what movement is for. The side effect is getting a little sexier. All right. That's a side effect. But we in our culture is sexy first. All right. If you want the sexy, you got to get a little flexy. All right. You got to go and hit the weights. All right. Go and hit the treadmill, all that stuff. But it's not about that. All right. The, the changes to our body composition are just a side effect. It's a bonus of getting metabolically healthier. And so the goal really with movement and exercise is to increase our vitality a recent meta-analysis published in Oxidative Medicine and Cellular Longevity suggests that exercise can positively enhance the number of our beneficial microbial species, enrich our microflora diversity, and improve the development of commensal bacteria. Now, here in the United States, 70% of our citizens have digestive diseases currently. And Again, that study was from years ago, but that's what's happening epidemic a big part of that obviously is the health of our microbiome exercise is required for vitality not vanity all right again it's not a no disrespect you can still like come on you can look sexy do your thing all right nobody's like you know what i want to look terrible all right do things to make you look good and feel good all that stuff but please understand exercise is required for you to be a healthy Functioning human being, it's required. Now again, exercise improves assimilation of nutrients and elimination of metabolic waste. By me having the audacity to start moving when I was sedentary for two years, really, and I just started doing what I could. I didn't go from two years of planting my behind on my couch to going and you know running five miles or going and deadlifting four hundred pounds, which I eventually did, by the way. You know, Um, but What I did was I just went and started using a stationary bike at the university. I started to walk around the track. I started to pick up a couple of weights after several weeks that went by. I just took one step at a time, literally. And little did I know that that was dramatically improving how my body was processing all the good stuff that I was now taking in by upgrading my diet. So these go hand in hand. And finally, this essential building block, this essential tool that we all can utilize to uplevel our health that is still often overlooked. According to the CDC, about 115 million Americans are regularly sleep deprived. Number 5 is to sleep like your life depends on it, because it does. It's during sleep that the vast majority of anabolism and healing takes place. When I started sleeping well, because that was my biggest struggle over those two years, was sleeping at night. When I started to change what I was doing during the day, it helped me to get better sleep at night. And when I started sleeping well, wow, like I got better so much faster. And before I knew it, it was as if I was living in a different reality. You know, I, I felt so alive and everything was clicking. And it's because I was giving my body these very simple but overlooked pieces, components, ingredients to have a healthier expression. And it's important to know that our sleep impacts every single area of our lives. It impacts the function of our immune system dramatically. There might not be anything that controls the function of our immune system more than our sleep quality, it impacts our cognitive ability dramatically. We all know what it's like to be in that mental fog, but also, you know, research that was published in The Lancet, for example, took test subjects. This time it was done on physicians and they had them to complete a task in this particular study, right? Then they sleep deprived these physicians and had them to attempt to complete the same task again, the exact same assignment. And what happened? They made 20% more mistakes doing the exact same thing and it took them 14% longer to do the exact same thing. They lost safety and effectiveness. They lost both of those things by being sleep deprived. And that was just from one night of sleep deprivation, by the way. And as a matter of fact, even our cardiovascular health, let's take a gander from, I just pulled the, if you're listening to the audio version, my book Sleep Smarter off the shelf behind me. And there's a particular study in here that I mentioned in the introduction. It's pretty eye opening. And this particular study, this was published in the journal Sleep, and it followed 98,000 people for 14 years. It's a long time to follow somebody, All right, It's like, damn, why are you following me? 98,000 people for 14 years and discovered that people in the study who got fewer than four hours of sleep per night were twice as likely to die prematurely from heart disease. Now, specifically, it was women in that study, All right, Twice as likely to die from heart disease. What about the fellas? A study reported in the World Health Organization tracked the results of almost 700 men over a 14 year period. They found that men with poor sleep quality were also twice as likely to have a heart attack and up to four times more likely to have a stroke during the study period. Heart disease is still the number one, the number one killer in our world today. Despite popular media framing things to be more relevant, more important, heart disease is the number one killer still. And these are things that, again, when somebody's going into their physician and they find out that they have risk factors and they have symptoms of heart disease, and I seeing symptoms because again, the labeling of these things could be devastating in and of themselves. But their physician, chances are Highly unlikely are not telling them to address their sleep quality or even asking them about their sleep for that matter. Again, so sleep, like your life, depends on it because it does. I appreciate you so much for tuning into the show today, and this is such an important episode to share. Very, very practical, simple things, and of course, we've got masterclass episodes on improving sleep quality, upleveling our nutrition, and obviously. My book's Sleep Smarter, international bestseller. It's translated in somewhere around 21 different countries, foreign languages right now. So it's international as well. So if you've got people that you know and love in other countries, it's very likely they can pick up a copy as well. And Eat Smarter, my latest book, very happy and grateful to say. It's a USA Today national bestseller. It was a top 10 audio book in the United States. So many wonderful accolades, but most importantly, what are we gonna do about the information? It's, it's one thing to have a wonderful, practical, entertaining, inspiring book, but it's another thing to put these things into action. And that's what it's really all about. And I appreciate you so much for taking action to hang out with me today. We've got some epic episodes coming very, very soon. Some incredible interviews, some powerful masterclasses. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon.